it's safe to say we strongly believe in the power of sharing stories, right, Tisha? Yes. And that's why we chose to have our stories published in actual books. We did. And yours is actually available to pre-order soon, right? It is. You'll be able to pre-order WTF Am I Even Doing between November 15th and November 21st. And I can't wait to get this book in people's hands. I'm so excited for you. And I have two books available for sale now, Self Love Club Volume 2 and Momming Hard. And I actually own both of your books. I will say that if you or someone you know loves our show or is just looking for that connection we find when we hear another person's story, then any of our books would be a perfect gift during this holiday season. They really are. Each book is a collection of stories told by women for women on topics ranging from self-love to motherhood to the fact that none of us really have any clue what we are doing. You will inevitably see something of yourself in each of these stories. So why not check some people off your gifting list right now while supporting your two favorite podcast hosts. For more info on how to order, check out the show notes or head to our website, www.nowuppod.com. One more thing before we get into this week's episode, a huge thank you to Nat for being our inaugural Patreon member, as well as a huge thanks to my amazing widow sisters, Anita and Mel from the Widow We Do Now podcast for buying us five coffees. Don't forget, you can find out the various ways you can support the show and our drive to upgrade our audio equipment down in the show notes. We hope you enjoy this episode. You're listening to Now What, a podcast where we celebrate the human spirit by sharing stories of strength and resilience. For those going through hard times or looking to get inspired to change their own life, we're your hosts, Jen and Tisha. Hi, and welcome back to Now What. I'm Jen. And I'm Tisha. Thank you so much for joining us once again. We are actually getting ready to wrap up our first season, which has been really long. Yeah. Um, I think we'll, we'll have this week's episode and then we'll hear from Chelsea next week. And then Jen and I are going to do a finale the week after that. And then we're going to take a break for the holidays. And this week we're going to be joined by Nikita, who is in Virginia and she's agreed to join us today. So hi, Nikita. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. We are so excited to have you. I was just telling you before we started recording that I've been following you on Instagram for quite a while. And I think you've been following us. And so we eventually connected. And one of the things I guess that I like, or that drew me to ask you to be on the show is just your story of helping to empower people who have suffered from childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. and helping them to kind of find that voice that was taken from them, right? Yeah. That's sort of part of your mission. Would mm-hmm. you agree? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure, sure, sure. So I'm a validation coach. And what that is, is a lot of times people come to me and they're saying like, oh my gosh, I've, you know, never felt like my experience was valid or I'm out of touch with my story. I've never felt like I had a place to even own my emotions because a lot of times if someone is experiencing a a traumatic childhood, especially at the hands of their caregiver, they're told that their emotions are too much. They're too sensitive. They're too dramatic. Things didn't really happen the way that they think they happened. Mm -hmm. And so I enter me and I'm telling them like, no that did happen. Like you're not crazy and it's actually normal for you to feel sad. It's normal for you to feel mad and that's okay. And it's a really empowering experience for people to have a a space where they can 
learn to own their voice. Um, in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, it's like we talk, of course we learn how to talk, but to find the empowerment, the power that is in your voice and being certain of what you say. So I help people with that. And that is because I grew up with a narcissistic mom and narcissistic people in general, they're very good at gaslighting. So making you think that things that you've experienced didn't really happen that way um, Mm -hmm. or that you shouldn't feel the way that you feel. And I was always put down. I always came across like a burden to my mom. I like, I would say, Hey mommy. And she would say, what Nikita? Like that was always the tone. What? So I learned not to need anything, not to want anything to take Mm -hmm. care of myself as much as possible. And we're in a society where people really do. There's kind of like this mother worship where mothers are saints they can do everything and a mommy's kiss makes it all better and you know this is just the figure of mom that you see everywhere and even going to school I had a lot of friends who would say my mom is my best friend and I would just kind of shrink because I'm like I'm terrified of my mom like yeah no that's not my experience (laughs) yeah Yeah. and it just feels so isolating Mm -hmm. but what I've learned through sharing my experience is that there are thousands of us probably millions but so far I've come across thousands and um it's just been really validating for my inner child so that's that's like my goal and my origin kind of in one yes and um I like kind of the point you were touching on just about that whole mother worship, because there really is this idea, you know, people are always like, if someone says something negative about their mother, the response is always like, well, that's your mom. You know, that's your mom, like family first. And the reality is that that's not really everyone's experience. Mm -hmm. But if that's you, if you're one of those people who have that not positive relationship with your mother it's hard to exist in a society where mothers are just worshipped and we're you're kind of told to be nice and keep those kinds of comments to yourself that it's like so disrespectful to say anything negative about your mother because she just should be worshipped right yeah definitely Definitely. It's like this. I'm just sitting here listening, and it's like this double-edged sword because it's, in your experience, it's it's isolating, and it's almost like you had a, a not good experience, uh, relationship, not experience with your mom. And then on the flip side, though, it puts an impossible amount of pressure on mothers. So even if you're not, you know, narcissistic or just problematic overall it's a lot of pressure to fulfill or to live up to that if you're a mom who loves your children and your family and who's actually trying to live up to that yeah because it's it is it's like who is it serving right yeah it's hard now being on the other end and being a mom the pressure is like oh so intense and I actually Mm -hmm. got a message in my inbox today that made me a little sad. I, it was a mom and she was like, hey, this is me, but I'm the mom you're talking about. So as I see that, I'm like trying to brace myself. Like, what is what is this about? But then she goes on and she's like, 
you know, I have a daughter and she tells me the way that she is, is because I am so terrible. And so I went in the bathroom and cried and I have four kids, but my relationship is only this way with her. And what can I do? And so I was like, the fact that you care so much and that you actually cried means you are so different from the mom that I'm talking about in my, my content. And I just reassured her, like, give yourself some grace. Parenting is hard and every child is Mm -hmm. different. And so I came in contact with that today and that just, it just made me sad. Cause I'm like, yeah, we can all work on things. I suggested, you know, if she could afford it, go to some therapy to get a mediator so they could hear each other, Mm -hmm. but it's hard. Yeah. But I think that the idea and maybe maybe you can help us clarify a bit because I think the word narcissist can be thrown around a lot yeah without really understanding what it means but my sort of the way I kind of gather is that a true narcissist is not going to admit wrongdoing is not going to reach out to somebody and admit that they're that mom yeah definitely not Definitely not. I think that's the biggest telltale sign. And even when I was in therapy, you know, years ago and was afraid of becoming my mom, my therapist would tell me the fact that you are concerned about that already means that you are not like right. her. I'm like, right. oh, okay. Okay. That, <laughs> that makes me feel better because I think that's the fear, right? Especially if you come from a dysfunctional family and you want to have a family that's functional. Right. There's there's so much pressure and that's the fear that you're going to end up replicating what you saw growing up. And Mm -hmm. it's hard when you haven't had that model to guide you in terms of what you should be doing. It's more like you get the, uh, what I should not be doing model. Mm -hmm. And then you're just trying to like figure that out and just not make those mistakes. Cause I've been there (laughs) and (laughs) it's, Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. And I do think that when you haven't had that role modeling, the pressure is felt in a different way when you become a parent. Yeah, there's pressure. And then I think combined with a bit of fear and maybe desperation Mm -hmm. because you love your child or your children so much and you so want to do right by them and you love them with a healthy love, right? Not the kind of love that you received but right. then there's like this fear because you don't know where you're going. All you, like you said, I know where I'm not going, but there's so many <laughs> other directions that I could be and which one is the best one. And, you know, again, there's that desperation that I think comes from the hurt and the trauma. Like you just so desperately do not want to make your child feel the way that you felt. Um, mm-hmm. And it can just feel like, oh, cause kids will, they like, they can really throw you for a loop sometimes. <laughs> so, all the time, all the right. time. <laughs> I feel like that's a, a gross understatement. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just hard to <laughs> Definitely. You gave us the short version of like, you know, your origin and, and why you do what you do. Would you be comfortable sharing? When did you get to a point where you were like, I need, because it sounds like your work probably serves you as much as it serves the people you work with. Mm-hmm. When did you get to a point where you were like, this is what I need to be doing with my life? Like I need to help other people who have been through what I've been through. So was there like a light bulb moment? I feel like it came in stages. And I think that's the way life and the universe or God 
you know, whatever your belief system is, it kind of works that way sometimes. Like, I'm just going to give you as much as you can handle right now. And then I'm going to expose what's really going on as you take more and more steps. And so I got diagnosed with anxiety and depression back in 2014, just like two weeks before my wedding. So that was fun. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) On one hand, I was glad to have answers, but then on the other hand, I was like, what the heck does this mean? Yeah. Um, And then in 2015 diagnosed with uh, ADHD, but I right off the bat, I was like, okay, if I'm going to have these diagnoses, 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 diagnoses anyway, yes, multiple, so. thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> then I don't want it to be in vain. I don't want my struggle to be in vain. Like, let it be so that I can help people. Like I want to, I want to be victorious in this. Like, I don't want it to take me out. I want to be able to help people. I don't know why just ever since I was young, I just felt like I had a big purpose, not exactly sure what it was, but I just always felt like there's more for me. There's more for me. I'm supposed to be doing more, helping more. And so even when I had really, really low days, I felt like, okay, me being able to help people is just not giving up today, like not deciding to end it all. I'm going to live another day. I'm going to keep going and that's going to be glorifying. So um, that was that early on. And I was just kind of riding that wave thinking I was just going to help the people that I come in contact with in my day-to-day life. Mm -hmm. Then 2018, that when I had my baby. So 2018 or 2019, I decided I'm going to write a book. I felt like I had done a good amount of healing in those like five, six years. I'm like, you know what? I've learned some stuff. I don't hate my life anymore. I actually kind of like my life. I want to tell people how I got here. So I decided to write a book. Then I realized, well, you can write a book. No one's going to buy it because no one knows I exist. So <laughs> how do I grow an Instagram community? And so I, I had to get clear about what my message even was. Like, what do I want to say? What is my purpose? And I'm like, you know what? I want people to know that they are not alone in their struggle. They're not alone in their struggle. And that's where I started. And the more I started posting in that realm, I noticed that I got the biggest response from people when I would post things about my mom. I was Mm -hmm. like, there's something here. And so I would like post more and more kind of about that experience and more and more people were like flocking and hitting me up in my messages and commenting. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I thought that I was the only one. Like I even say in my book at one point, I felt like the unluckiest of little girls in the whole world Mm -hmm. Um, and just realizing there's so many of us. And so there have been stages, but it's just even been in the last couple of months where I've realized that the childhood trauma space, because initially I thought it was like, oh, let's talk about anxiety and depression. But then when I talked about kind of the root of that with my mom, that's just when it just went crazy. That resonated with people. Yeah. People were coming out of the woodworks. Like, that's me. That's me. No one's talking about this. Thank you so much for speaking up. That's so brave. Like all of this. Mm. And I'm like, okay, I think I found my people. And because nobody's talking about it, that leads people to feeling alone. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And it's uncomfortable. Like, you know, at work, are you going to be in like the staff room or whatever? Um, 
talking about your childhood trauma like it makes people uncomfortable so people kind of hide that part of themselves when in reality you know the unfortunate thing is that there are so many children and so many adults who have grown up with trauma in dysfunctional homes or with narcissistic with narcissistic mothers I mean it's it's more common, I think, than we realize because people don't talk about it. Well, and I think it goes back to something that I've, I've, I've said multiple times is that like, as a society, we're very trauma illiterate. Mm. We don't understand that like trauma is a personal thing. So just because you could have grown up in the same home with a sibling, I don't know if you have a sibling or not, and you could Mm -hmm. come out of it traumatized and they could not. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then also the, just the idea that if you have lived through trauma or experienced trauma, that it does need to be healed from, or it just stays mm-hmm. with you. Yeah. Well, so, it, so why would you need to talk about childhood trauma? You're an adult, you're functioning, you have a job, like you have a family, your life looks perfect. Like who cares what happened to you as a kid? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Without well, recognizing that. And I think still there's. You. I think the other thing is that there's a lot of stigma around growing up in a dysfunctional family. Like there's a lot of judgments that people make about that. And um, I think that's the other reason that people don't talk about it. People don't want to admit that they have childhood trauma because people think, well, if you have childhood trauma, then you're messed up and you can't be a functioning adult when in fact you can, you can have childhood trauma and be a functioning adult. And a lot of people I think don't realize that in part because the functioning adults with childhood trauma aren't talking about it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like, (laughs) You know, keeps going around. It keeps going around because, <laughs> you know, we you might be surrounded by functioning adults who have childhood trauma who just aren't telling you that. Definitely. But it leads you to think that the functioning adults. I don't know. I'm going somewhere with that. <laughs> it I makes mean, sense in my head. Around and around. It's because cyclical. That is how it goes. Yeah. And nobody's talking about it. And then, you know, I'm in my head as you're talking about when you said that you felt like the unluckiest little girl, I was also thinking back a little bit to what, like the little bit that you mentioned about what life was like growing up and the gaslighting and being sent that message that your feelings don't matter, that the things that happened to you didn't happen the way that you remember. So why are you going to share that with anybody? Right. Like if the message you're being sent is like, you're making a big deal out of nothing. Yeah. Why would you share that? Yeah. And then especially because whenever you do venture to share even a little bit, the common response is that, well, that's your mom. Well, you know, she's just trying her best. Moms have it hard. Um, You only get one mom. Uh, So it just makes you feel like maybe maybe I'm not looking at this right. Maybe I should try to see things from her perspective just a little more. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. When in reality, she wasn't really very nice. Yeah. (laughs) Is Mm -hmm. that? Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't live there, but just the, you know, 
when a child is made to feel like they're a burden. That's tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even as you were talking about, um, you know, like the emotions not being validated, I had a flashback. I'm like, there were multiple occasions when my mom would laugh at me when I was crying as like a seven-year-old. Um, she would laugh. And then my sister's four years younger, she was three. And so, you know, three-year-olds, they're just kind of going with the flow. And then she would like coerce my sister and they're like chanting cry baby at me, like as I'm crying and upset about something. And I'm like, now as an adult, like who does that? That is so messed up. At the time, I just felt like infuriated because I'm like, you're not listening to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then of course, eventually there's embarrassment. But yeah, as an adult and now also a parent. You look back and you're like, yeah, that wasn't right. Yeah. And when you're a child and those things are happening, you only know what you know. You only know what you experience. So maybe it doesn't feel right, but that doesn't mean that you really grasp that it really isn't right. Right. Well, and what you can do about it even. Which is nothing. Nothing. Can you do about it? Yeah. You only have one mom. What are you supposed to do? (laughs) <laughs> and I know I've, it takes I've a whole different, the phrase takes a whole different tone when, when looked at yeah. it from that perspective. So you, you write about both of your parents and sort of that your relationship with your dad was, was good, mm-hmm. but that he was not around a lot. Right. Because of work. Right. He was in the Navy. So I just wondered like, was your mother different when he was around or not? So I thought that she wasn't right until my mom passed away. And it's kind of like when she died, this curse was broken. Like she had us all under this curse of silence. Um, and when she died, we, we all started talking and realizing like, hey, this stuff doesn't add up. And so come to find out my dad did not know a lot of things. He was like, what? Um, He knew that she could be harsh sometimes or intense, but I think especially, you know, in the 90s, that's not super uncommon. Um, Well, and when you're on your own and your partner is away a lot for Mm -hmm. work. So on edge and stuff like that. And so, um, yeah, I think he knew something because I would always wonder why he wouldn't stand up for us. Like why would he not protect us? And I found out when I was an adult, he said he, he knew enough to know that if he got between us, that she would treat us worse when he was gone. So, but I guess, so he knew enough to know that, but he apparently did not know the extent of the things that my sister and I would share with him. And so, which led me to believe that she was a bit different Um, and then of course we were pretty much sworn to secrecy and silence. So we didn't share any different with him. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think he was largely unaware. Mm -hmm. But you still have, and you still have a relationship with him. Yeah, I do. He's great. Yeah. Yeah. And you're smiling when you say that, which people can't (laughs) see, but, um, I did think, you still have a relationship with your mom when she passed or did you get to a point where you had to sever that relationship for your own well-being? I never made it to no contact. So I was 26 when she died. I wonder if she lived longer, if I would have 
gotten strong enough to go no contact. I didn't know, I think I've even found out about narcissism after she, either when she was very, very sick or after she died. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't know kind of how to deal with narcissists and all of that, but I had started um, reaching out less and responding less, especially because as she got sick in true narcissist fashion, she then used that as her leverage. Um, mm -hmm. And then you could never tell what was real and what wasn't real. And so I would only go home because they were in South Carolina. I would only go home when my dad or my sister would say, hey, it's really bad. But I would never listen to her and I didn't want to hear the drama. So I talked to her less, but I still was very um, susceptible to emotional manipulation. Mm -hmm. I think because I still... I still wanted to be good to her. I didn't, I hadn't grasped yet that there was really no benefit in that, not for her, not for me. And that the best thing that I could do was to separate myself. Yeah. Um, I hadn't developed that much yet. Mm -hmm. Cause dealing with narcissists is tricky. Very. Yes. Can you explain that a little bit? Yes. So I'm not as fluent at like as eloquent when it comes to talking about it as some like Lisa Romano or Dr. Romani. But what I will say is what it boils down to with a narcissist, if you can manage it, going no contact is the best. And that is because you cannot beat a narcissist at their game. They are very crafty. They are very witty. They are very good with wordplay and subtleties. Um, and I said it in a YouTube video recently that if you do get good at playing the narcissist game, they will burn the board. Yeah. Or they will just completely change the rules like up oh, new game. And yeah. so they don't go with logic really. And so it's just in your best interest to go no contact if you can. And if you can't, if like financially you're obligated to stay with them, you, you cannot become independent because there are a lot of people with narcissistic significant others and they're kind mm -hmm. of trapped in these relationships because they're so financially bound um what would i say i would say i mean just distance yourself as much as you can make interactions as short as possible and it's unfortunate because that will make some narcissists belligerent because they sense that they are losing control so they will go to extreme measures to try to draw you out which is why mm -hmm. like at all costs, try to get out no because then the other alternative is that you just always do what they say and you completely lose yourself. You lose your self-esteem, you lose your self-worth, you lose your dignity um, and you may pacify them, but only until the next time they have a request mm -hmm. and they just get more and more ridiculous. So, right. So. Because the requests are not always reasonable. Right. And then sometimes they want you, they will use you to like um, facilitate their abuse of others. So then now you're lying to people or withholding things from people or, you know, it, it can just get really, really messy and really toxic. Mm -hmm. Did your mother ever play um, you and your sister sort of against each other in that way? Fortunately, she never 
pit us against pitted us against each other in terms of making us hate each other um, mm -hmm. right out. The most blatant thing I can think of, she did use us against each other. So when I went off to college, my sister and I are four years apart. So my first year in college was her first year in high school. And so I would need money. I'm out of state. I need help. I wouldn't ask for a lot because I was used to not having a lot, but I just need some. And she would say, no, I can't give it to you. You know, your sister's in high school and she needs this and she needs that. And she's an art club and, you know, whatever, whatever. I found out years later that she was not giving my sister money. She would tell my sister, no, you know, your sister's in college and she needs money. She needs, you know, for this and that and whatever. So it's like, she would use us kind yes. of to get out of serving the other, but fortunately she never turned us against each other. Right. So, so you have a good relationship with your sister mm -hmm. as well. I yeah. Does she kind of share your beliefs and opinion about your mom? Yeah, um, she does. She's actually the one who sent me the link first about narcissism. It was like, hey, this sounds like mom. Um, but we just experienced it very differently yeah. and dealt with it very differently. So I, my MO was always get away get away, get away, get away. My goal was one day I want to be rich enough that I can send my mom checks for Christmas that are large enough that I don't have to see her. Like, I just never want to see her again. Mm -hmm. But my sister really always fought for her affection and her approval. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I did in some ways. I don't, I think I just wanted her to stop calling me a screw up. Like, I never expected her to like fawn over me or anything like that. But I just wanted her to see like, oh, you're, you're worth it. You're worth having around. You're not such a burden. But my sister really was going after that. Like, she like, wanted that approval. The approval and the love and the, the mommy daughter BFF situation. Mm -hmm. So whereas I was like, girl, it ain't gonna happen. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> I just want some peace. It right. does go back a little bit to what Jen was saying, just in terms of like two people living in the same house. And that's why I asked about your sister, like two people living in the same house can have different experiences and different responses to the trauma. Mm -hmm. And um, it's one of the things that, you know, Jen and I, I think throughout making the podcast and meeting people and talking to people such as yourself, um, that we've kind of been trying to show our audience is that people have different responses to trauma mm -hmm. and that's okay. Yeah. And there's not one more valid response right. or experience than another. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's the big thing too. Yeah. yeah. That those responses can all be valid and people, you know, cope in different ways. Yeah. And I can definitely see how when you're dealing with a narcissist who's making you feel like, you know, you're unlovable or that you're a burden that you feel that need, like your sister to prove herself, to try to, and even yourself, you said you kind of wanted to just like prove that you were worthy mm -hmm. in some way, but maybe more realistic in the, she's never going to fawn over me. <laughs> right. But yeah. Can I ask, when do you think that you started really figuring out that 
perhaps your mother was different from your friend's mothers or whatever? Oh, I knew as early as middle school, like being a preteen. And I know because it manifested as jealousy and like anger when I would hear them talking about, oh, I tell my mom everything. If we were talking about this and that, or me and my mom, we're going to go have a nail day. And I would just kind of feel like, oh, that that sounds really nice. Must be nice for you. Or when like moms would show up to do things with school and my mom, she did a couple of things. She chaperoned a couple of things, but then she would always yell at me or pull me aside and berate me and like criticize the way I interacted with my friends. And so it just got to the point where I was like, no, I don't want you to come. No, so, actually, I don't want you near the school. Yeah, it's right. better if you know. don't. Yeah. So yeah, I, I remember as early as middle school. But I'm, I'm going to guess just, I don't know, knowing myself as a middle schooler that that's probably not when your journey of like sort of unpacking your trauma began. No. Mm. When did I start trying to unpack? Honestly, I don't think I started trying to unpack probably until about 2015 in therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this is a whole other topic I'm going to introduce. But when I was 18 in college, I got connected with a church, a campus ministry. And man, the way a lot of churches, you know, will try to preach you out of your your feelings and your experiences is very damaging as well. And so it's a lot of, instead of processing, you need to just forgive. You need to forgive. Mm-hmm. You need to have charitable thinking. You need to be selfless. If you want to mend that relationship, you should just serve her more, serve your mom more. And so that was like a lot of repression. And then even at one point I would ask, like, I think I'm depressed. Do you think I'm depressed? And my campus ministry leader was in the medical field and her response to me was, well, you know, sin causes depression. So I'm like, mm. yeah, right. It must I'm be like, my oh. sins. <laughs> so for years, literally, because I was just so, especially coming from such a dysfunctional place, you come yes. into an environment that is, they're like trained in love bombing you. So I'm like, well, this is my family. So I think they must have my best interest in heart. And I know nothing. Clearly my family is far from godly. So these people must know everything. And so I spent years bouncing from study to study. Like, well, maybe if I study joy, maybe if I study faith, maybe I'm just not grateful enough. Grateful people are happy. Study out gratitude. Oh, maybe it is my sin. Let me dig deep and find every possible sin and flaw I have with myself. And if I get rid of that, then maybe I'll be happy. So no one packing happened then. Um, and so probably <laughs> just lots of stuffing. You know, in that's more like stuffing it down, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. And sprinkling some more shame on top. So, well, can we just talk about how damaging it is? This idea that like the goal in life is to be happy. No one's yeah. happy all the time. Right. It's impossible. That's a very good point. And like real, truly, like it's not possible. And and you're gonna have days and maybe longer that don't you don't feel so great. Exactly. Yeah. And that's one thing that I talk about when people are like, they'll come in my DMs and it seems like they're wanting a quick fix. Like, well, how did you get better? What do I need to do? What are the steps? And I'm like, whoa, well, 
<laughs> First, it's not going to happen overnight. Where are you coming from? Yeah. And then second of all, it's taken me seven years to get here. And while I love my life, newsflash, I'm not done. <laughs> yeah. Like there's still so much more to do. So yeah. yeah, we, everybody wants that like quick fix, but it's so multifaceted and so layered. Yeah. I think anytime you're dealing with trauma and the way that it impacts you, but especially I think when it's childhood trauma, the, it, there are so many layers to it and to yeah. understanding the ways that that childhood trauma so long ago is impacting your life today. There's a lot of work in that, right. And just understanding that and, you know, we talked about it before, but just even going back to that idea of for a lot of your childhood, you were being told that you were being unreasonable. Mm, yes. So you kind of, I think people then start denying almost to themselves what their experiences were. Definitely. Oh, that's so true. And there's also a lot of, I think, you know, we look at trauma and the way that it's sort of portrayed in the media or the newspaper. And there's these really like big things that we're like, oh yeah, that's a traumatic event. And yeah. nobody's going to argue with someone that that is a traumatic event. And so when your experience is like a lot of little things over mm -hmm. years and years, and it wasn't that, like, I think we've, I think we talked about this on another podcast, but like, as a child, or you can look at your childhood trauma and be like, well, you know, no one kept me locked in a room. I wasn't locked in a box. I wasn't starved. Then you think, oh, well, my trauma wasn't that bad compared to these right. stories that you hear and see in the media, which really, I think, leads people to deny to themselves that their childhoods were shitty, pardon my language. We swear sometimes, but like <laughs> sometimes not everyone's childhood was magical. Yeah. <laughs> I think again, there's danger in thinking that people, that the average person had a magical childhood. Right. But, but that's what's publicized and put out it is. there. It like is. Well, and I think there's pressure on parents and, and maybe less so now, but even like when I was growing up, I mean, appearances really mattered to, to my, to my parents and like what I mean, appearance. I think still, I think they still now do you have Pinterest, Pinterest parents and Instagram parents, <laughs> like, oh my gosh. But I think, you know, for all intents and purposes from the outside, mine would look like it, my childhood would look like it was magical. Mm -hmm. But we had all, you know, and at not, not, not in any way. I mean, again, this goes against the idea that we should be comparing experiences anyway, but like, <laughs> but you guys had your stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, did we, you know, have a lovely home and go to private school and go on vacations and all of those things that, you know, we had two boys and two girls and like the dogs and, you know, everything you should have in a suburban Massachusetts home. Um, but it wasn't perfect and it wasn't magic. And mm -hmm. um, so like, I guess along with the idea that like the goal in life is to be happy all the time. Like most people haven't had a magical childhood. And, and that's one thing that I'm learning being married to my husband who has a very 
um, they're a very tight family, mm-hmm. right? And so coming from my family, very disjointed. I was not connected even to my extended family because my mother kept me away from them, I think as punishment to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up without a family. So I see my husband's family and they get together for holidays and birthdays and things like that. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'm marrying into like a real family. But then of course, as you stick around longer and you learn more and you see more and I get like frustrated with certain events or things like that. And I'm like, um, I said to my husband, like, I guess I just don't get a family or I guess I just don't get a mom or whatever. And he was like, I mean, you do. It's just not perfect. And so I've been really coming to the realization that like, because I didn't, I had a dysfunctional family. My only real idea of what family was, was from TV and the movies. (laughs) And of course, (laughs) you know that that's not real. And I was like, I would never base, I would never think that real life is supposed to be like the movies, but I'm realizing that that's what I did with my idea of family. Like that must be out there and that is the goal. And so even you saying that, that you had like the two boys and two girls and the dog and the this and the that, but it still wasn't perfect. I was like, there it is again. Like, oh, families yeah. aren't perfect. It's not possible for families to be perfect. No, because yeah. no person is perfect. <laughs> right. I, <laughs> I recently co-authored, a, like I wrote a chapter in a book and oh, that is cool. one of the things that I touched upon is that same idea that like I grew up, like I knew the TV mom wasn't real, but I kind of thought that that's what I was supposed to be achieving Mm -hmm. because I didn't really know differently. Like you, you know, but you don't like, you know, it's not real, but it's still, it's just become so ingrained in us. Right. Yeah. What we see in the media. And even if like, again, if you're coming from a, a dysfunctional situation and you go to a friend's house that, you know, they appear to you're getting everyone at their best for the most part, right? Because there's guests there. Yes, yeah. they're not showing you the real side of them. And I remember so it um, kind of when reinforces I got that, married, I somebody said to me, you know, everybody in a family has their script hmm. that they've been reading and they have their role that they play in, in their family. And when you're marrying into a family, like, you have to remember that all of those people still have their scripts that they're following mm-hmm. and they're expecting, like, you can't just like go in and change their script, which wow. is kind of like, right. I wish I had I gotten like, that advice. <laughs> and I think it was really probably some of the best marriage advice I've been given is like to understand that like your husband's family all have their roles that they've been playing long before you were there. Wow. And it can be hard to like fit yourself see that because you're an outsider and you can see all of those dynamics functioning in or a not. different way than the people who are in it yeah, reading those not. scripts. Yeah. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds a little bit like as you were listening or as you were talking about your husband's family, I'm like, oh yeah, because they've got their scripts. Like that was in my head while you're talking. Like, yeah. And then you see it and you're like, wait a minute, but this isn't what is sort of 
portrayed and put out there but that is the reality every family has their scripts and their dynamics but I don't want that point to take away from the fact that your experience sounds like it was more abusive right like yes that's a script too and every family has a script but not every family is abusive Mm -hmm. um yes does that make sense? Like, I didn't want it to yeah, be like, totally. oh, you know, your family had their scripts. That is not what I'm saying. <laughs> no, it didn't come from that. It definitely sounded like you were responding to my story about, you know, my husband's yes. family and things like that. Yes. So I don't think that you're yes. minimizing it. <laughs> because people do that, especially, I think, like you were saying with the comments about, well, that was your mom and she was trying her best and like, you know, try to understand where she was coming from. You're like, yeah, but actually she really wasn't that great (laughs) yeah it's so interesting like people who really really buy into that narrative I've just resolved myself to thinking like they are really really fortunate to not be able to grasp where I am coming from like they Mm -hmm. have a very privileged life that they have no idea my experience they can't even imagine for the most part, my my um, Instagram account is very safe. I get very supportive comments, but of course, on the internet there are always someone. the trolls. Yeah. And so, um, I've actually started screenshotting the crazy comments. Like, I'm gonna do something with them someday. <laughs> they're like, "Oh, well, she succeeded in creating another narcissist in you. Look at how you you talk about her, how you treat her." Um, what else? Mm-hmm. This is so, I know I did a, a response comment to this, but like, this is so disrespectful to the dead or, um, how yes. dare you talk about your mother this way? Oh, and, um, you just think you just throw around the word narcissist. You don't even know what it means. Why do you stop blaming people and go do the work? And I'm like, you saw a 45 second clip about one aspect of my life and you're just going to assume that I haven't done any mm-hmm. work or that mm-hmm. I never tried to see the good in her or like it's just very interesting how people have these very self-important perspectives mm-hmm. that they have no problem putting out into the world even though they have no idea about anything yep. yes and you had posted recently something about your mother's funeral and that you had made the decision you were not going to speak at her funeral and I was kind of following your stories and reading your posts around that and people um some people didn't like that (laughs) (laughs) it matters what they think oh yeah and I always am tempted to respond and I'm just like it's just really not worth it like Mm -hmm. But I think one, because it's so long and so complicated. And I'm like, I'm not typing this out on my phone. Like, we're not not doing this. You don't, if you want to know my story, you can buy my book. Um, (laughs) Is the book finished? Can we buy it? Is it available in store? Not yet. It's in the editing phases. Wonderful. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, people don't like it. And then I got, so on my page, it's for the most part, good responses and people who can relate. But I had a friend and we'd lost touch, but she saw me reposted on an account that she followed. Mm-hmm. And the person who posted was like, Hey mom, mamas, what do you think? Did she respond well? And most of the people said yes, but then sprinkled in 
people were like going off. She is so disrespectful and rude. She sounds bitter. She, you know, like all these things. I'm like, whoa, now I know I, you know, not that I'm a celebrity by any means, but why you always hear the celebrities say like, don't read the comments. I'm like, this is not <laughs> don't read the comments. But yeah, let's say you were bitter. So <laughs> good point. Like maybe I have a reason to be upset about the way that I was treated as that a child. And I think that is also part of the healing process is that mm-hmm. for kids who grew up with narcissistic, with narcissistic parents, that's a hard word, by the way, um, <laughs> and being denied your feelings to, and being told, like having your feelings minimized, then as an adult to maybe feel angry about that can I think be part of the healing process? You know what? That is exactly right. <laughs> and I'm going to let you know right now, I think I'm going to make that into a carousel post. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Like you got to feel. Sometimes you have to be like, yeah. yeah, you know what? Actually, I am mad about that. And that does piss me off and, and heal through that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm not an expert either, but. Well, I, I mean, again, I think that's healthy. Well, yeah. And another thing we talk about often and, and it doesn't, doesn't fix you and it doesn't heal you, but like the importance of feeling your feelings, like hold, mm-hmm. having to hold things in and having your feelings be invalidated and finding safe spaces to share your feelings. Like it's an important part of like the human experience. And yes. in your formative years, you weren't allowed to do, you didn't have that at all. So it, it, seems to serve that you might feel those feelings bigger more more loudly as a result I mean who knows like whatever you do do you and like that's what people need to just like step off about it but what I I, what struck me as you guys were going back and forth there and and the idea of um oh you know you only have one mom and it's just your mom I I have to wonder because I don't think there's anyone who doesn't hold some sort of less than perfect feelings or memories about their mother, no matter how (laughs) good their relationship is or was or what have you. I think it makes people uncomfortable because while they might not have had an experience that is as, again, obviously problematic as yours, um, they've probably had to fight through some of those feelings with those kinds of comments to themselves. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Um, Definitely. Like, and it, it makes them uncomfortable to maybe see a little bit of their own experience in the things that you're sharing. Right. Yeah. Um, even if it's and not I'm- like full on narcissism or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, just a thought. Yeah. And I know that everyone is not in this like healing space and cycle breaking space. Like there are some people, unfortunately, who are still, you know, continuing the cycle or maybe Mm -hmm. even starting their, their own harmful cycles due to poor choices. But the way my social media feed is curated and the people that I like to keep around me, we're all moving forward and like trying Mm -hmm. to cycle break and you know, figure out how do we communicate with our children from a very young age and just being of the belief that it's normal and healthy to apologize to your children when you're right. Like if you you yell at them out of frustration to come back and say, you know what, mommy should not have yelled. That was not nice. I'm sorry. I was frustrated. 
um, and to have those kinds of conversations. And so I hope that that group of people, that movement will continue to grow. And with that, that there will be more comfort in seeing mothers as whole people because moms will not be trying to, we won't be trying to portray ourselves as the TV moms, like where it's like, no, Mm -hmm. if I'm going to cry, I have to go lock myself in my room. My children can't know I cry. My children can't know that I get tired. Um, Or that I'm in pain, Tisha. Right. I don't know what's (laughs) going on, Tisha, but let it out. (laughs) Well, she, Um, she, when she was dealing with her, uh, um, her surgery from her after uh, her cancer treatment. She was really mm. worried about not being able to do things for her kids. Yeah, It was a because I had really fallen into that trap of thinking that I had to be everything. I had to be that perfect mom. And then, so I was having surgery to, I had cervical cancer. I was having surgery to remove that. And one of my biggest fears was that my children were going to see me weak, that they were going to see me in pain, that they were going to see me unable to do the things that I normally could do, that I wasn't going to be able to like walk up the stairs and tuck them into bed, that I wasn't going to be able to like brush their hair and get them ready for school and all of that. Like I was just so worried about them seeing me unwell. Yeah. Because we do, I, and I've done a lot of unpacking since then, but I definitely had fallen into that trap of like, I had to present myself as the perfect parent at all times. Mm-hmm. And it really, I think it did me a lot of disservice and it probably did yeah. them a lot of disservice too, because, you know, I've kind of learned through that, that it's okay to kind of show my emotions that I don't, as you said, have to lock myself in the bathroom and cry that I can just cry and be like, mommy is sad because blah, 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 blah. Because we have to sort of show our children that full range of emotions. Um, Mm -hmm. I think if we want them to grow up and be able to express those emotions themselves. So that's where I'm at with that anyways. (laughs) But it's just I, like we're I, all we, growing. Well, I live in a, a space where I'm in unable to like have a poker face and hide my things. So it's just like that's just a natural, I think, part of my parenting style. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I, uh, but yeah, I think it, we have to break away from that idea of perfection. Like our kids seeing us as perfect. I don't know. I always rebelled against my mom's ideals of perfection. Like I'd go to school, my like girl school without brushing my teeth in my pajamas and she'd be <laughs> oh screaming gosh. at me out the door. And I'm like, whatever, mom, there's no boys. And- no one cares. <laughs> Cause when you're 16, that's all that matters is if there's boys or not. Uh, <laughs> but um, I do, I think it's, I think it's um, important and I was thinking, actually, as you were talking, Tisha, and I was wondering um, for you, Nikita, because you guys are both in this like cycle breaking mode of, of from your own past traumas. And, and Tisha, it kind of led you to this need to be perfect as a mm-hmm. mother, like to like so overcompensate. Nikita, did you feel do you feel that way as a mom or did you or had you done yes. more? Unpe- okay. 
Yes. And I'm so passionate because I've been trying to write an article for a publication about this and no one will pick up my pitch. And I'm like, this is a great pitch. And I don't know why nobody's seeing it, but I think like the, it's the anybody who works for a publication that is listening to this. <laughs> Hello. Nikita's pick contact it up. info will be in the show notes, <laughs> but I do think that's a very real thing. That. Yeah, you like overcompensate, but like mm. I was so afraid. So, you know, when your child goes from like being a baby and you go from just keeping them alive to like, oh snap, now I have to start like disciplining and molding you and like correcting you so you don't become <laughs> a monster. Mm-hmm. Um, so in there and like being afraid of being too stern or not listening to his every feeling again because my feelings weren't validated so it's like let's talk about it why are you doing this why are you da 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 and i think yes that is good but also this is an 18 month old yeah okay <laughs> so i was just going to say like so, there too <laughs> sometimes there's not it's not that deep and so my husband was like you just need to let him know who's boss and this is like okay you've listened to him this is going on too long and so like Mm-hmm. One time I, you know, was stern and cut it off and things like that. But then I was almost in tears talking to my husband, like, he's not going to want to come to me with his feelings because I have invalidated him and shut him down. And, you know, meanwhile, he's on my lap eating an apple. And my husband's like, he doesn't look, he doesn't look he's, traumatized. He's so <laughs> upset by what you just did to him. Yeah. <laughs> and also, and, and maybe in that moment, you'd also shown him what it means to set a boundary. Uh, yeah, which we're still working on. I've grown a lot since then. I can still, I'm sure as I enter every phase, there will be a new version that kind of rears its head Yes. Um, within me of like, have I gone too far or, you know, whatever. But I do think the difference is there's so much more love showered into him mm-hmm. and so much more communication in other areas. And like, I'm willing if afterwards he wants to come back and talk about you know, how things went down. Like, yes, let's have that conversation. I'm not going to shut you down and say like, well, you just do what I say. Um, right. Unless of course it's a safety issue. Then it's like, yes, you need to listen to me because I know how to keep you alive. Yeah. Um, but that is my number one job. <laughs> and I tell him that he knows that if I say, what is mommy's number one job? He's like, to keep me safe. Bingo. Anyway, yeah, there's the overcompensating and the projecting. That's the word I was looking for. Like I project my own trauma onto him that like anytime I am stern or correct or just tell him he needs to fall in line, like if it is a safety issue or something like that, then I, I have this fear that he's going to grow up feeling invalidated by me and like he can't be his authentic mm-hmm. self. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's the projecting because that's how you felt, but the right. difference is I think I mean, I'm not you, so I hope you don't feel like I'm putting words in your mouth, no, but I, I mean, think the difference totally is that right. that was happening to you all of the time. Yeah. It wasn't the infrequent I'm setting this really firm boundary and I'm being really stern right now because it's my job to keep you safe, which happens less frequently and is sprinkled in there with also validating his feelings and talking to him the other times. And showering that's him kind love of, in a way right, that and, never were. <laughs> right. That's kind of where the difference lies, I think. Yeah, and I watch him. He's so spoiled. 
in a good way. Like, I don't think it's bad. He's not necessarily, and he's a little entitled. I'll work on that. He's three, but, um, lots like, of time. I, just think, I think yeah. they're entitled at three anyway. <laughs> yeah. And I think, um, it just amazes me and warms my heart how he feels like he has so much free access to me. Like he'll just come and plop on me or if I'm doing something, he'll mm-hmm. just wrap around my leg or where I literally, it almost felt like entering my mom's presence. It was like requesting to get audience with the king or something like that. Like, may I enter? Um, wow. But him, he's just like, mommy, well, you see, like I'm clearly here, yeah. told him that I was in a podcast. Mommy, you didn't give me my chicken wing. Mommy, I want to say goodnight. Can I have yeah. a kiss? So yeah. you guys heard him. He was like, now hug. I'm like, okay. Yeah. yeah. But um, that's just, that's really reassuring. Mm-hmm. Those things like that. Just whenever I doubt, I just watch how he interacts with me. And I'm like, this is already so different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's, that's probably really good advice, actually, for anybody as a parent who is questioning the choices that they make. Like, watch for how your child's interacting with you right because there's a lot of I think people who like yourself have those moments where you're doubting if you're doing the right thing yeah it might not work for preteens or teenagers sometimes (laughs) maybe not their brains are like melting down and reforming and 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 there's nothing what's going on with them there's nothing rational there yeah oh I don't God, want I any cry. like teen parents listening to this and being like yeah. my child hasn't come out of their room all weekend they just keep listening to Billie Eilish it's like okay that's not you mom yeah 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 <laughs> if someone listening is listening to you talk and listening to you talk about your mom and is like hmm I think I had a narcissistic parent what should they do to like either heal their own wounds or to figure out if maybe this was in fact like where they're coming from or do you have any advice? Yeah, I would say do a lot of research. Do a Google search. There's lots of helpful articles. Um, do a YouTube search. There's lots of helpful videos. Allow yourself to go down the rabbit hole because there's just so much information. And I think even if someone is not professionally diagnosed, you know how you were treated. Right. And so whether they're clinically a narcissist or not, it is still not healthy for them to be gaslighting you. It is still not healthy for them to be manipulating you. And so if they have some of these traits, which I believe narcissism is a spectrum. Um, mm-hmm. So it's possible to have these traits. It's, it's good for you to know what you're up against so you can know how to guard yourself. And then I'll just revisit you know, what I said earlier that if you think that this is the case, it's probably in your best interest to start practicing engaging less, like just disengage. Cause again, Mm -hmm. you cannot beat them at their game, which if you're in a place that you're doing this research, you probably already know that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're always wrong. No matter what, you're always wrong. You're the wrong one. You're the crazy one. Right. Yes. You're the one who's overreacting. You're the one who's Mm -hmm. right. Definitely. And then misremembering things or now you're even the mean one. How could you think that about them? How could you even form your mouth to say that to them? How harsh, how inconsiderate, how ungrateful. Oh my gosh. Now my feeling after all I've done for you. And this (laughs) is how you want to talk to me. 
I cannot believe it. You know what? If this is how you feel about me, maybe you should just go. Yeah. That's the types of so. things that they say, right? The manipulation. Yeah, like yeah. now all of a sudden you're apologizing. Like it started out with you expressing <laughs> that your feelings are hurt. And by the end of it, you're apologizing. Right. Yes. Right. There you go. You just basically summed up narcissism. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. If there's one thing you think that our listeners should take away from your story, what would it be? I would say that joy is possible when you're, when you come from a place of childhood trauma, um, or even if you're currently in a narcissistic relationship, whether it's with a parent or a spouse or a significant other, um, joy can seem very, very far, but it is mm -hmm. out there. It is waiting for you, but you have to be willing to make change to create it. It's not just going to stumble you're not going to stumble across it one day. Like there's no magic secret. You have to mm -hmm. learn how to set boundaries and speak up for yourself. Um, mm -hmm. And it happens little by little over time. And before you know it, you will wake up and see that with all of those little decisions, you have created a life of joy, but you have to decide where you're going to start. Oh, I love it. That's so good. Thank Thanks. you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nikita, for taking the time to talk to us tonight. I had a great time. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for listening to Now What? If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. Until next time, remember, your hard times are the chance to write another chapter.